Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. and prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's episode is with Iris Yamashita, debut author whose new book, City Under One Roof, came out earlier this year and is an absolutely thrilling mystery. It is a book that takes place in a small city in Alaska that, uh, for reasons you will discover when you read the book, everyone lives under one roof. Everyone in the entire town lives in one singular building. Uh, and when a crime takes place, everyone gets suspicious of one another. And a blizzard causes basically the town to be trapped within itself. And there are 205 people who live in this high-rise building. And each one of them is as icy as the weather. It's a delightful mystery. It is based off of an actual place that exists where people do live in this specific city and this specific uh, building. It's really, really fascinating. This was a delightful conversation. Uh, before we get to the book, Iris and I discuss her refound love of playing music, specifically on her keyboard. Uh, she grew up, as many people do, uh, trying to learn how to play classical music. She learned piano because her parents wanted her to, and because it was something that she was more or less, you know, forced to do as a kid. Uh, she abandoned it for a while, but then rediscovered it when, uh, as we all do, she discovered you know, she could enjoy the music that she actually likes and she could play that music without being told what to do. It's one of those funny moments where as an adult, you're like, oh, right, I can just, uh, I can just do things now for enjoyment. It's great. And so it's a really interesting conversation where she talks about the different types of music she likes to play and the things that she's discovered. One of the things she likes focusing on is soundtracks and scores from movies, which makes a lot of sense when you listen uh, to this conversation and learn about her background. Uh, she is an award-winning screenwriter as well. She uh, was nominated for four Oscars, or her work was nominated rather for four Oscars uh, from a screenplay that she wrote, and we talk about that as well. Before we get into this conversation, I want to offer you a quick book recommendation I just finished up The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean. This is a, uh, a spooky, not scary book, but it is all about these people who eat books instead of actual food. And when they eat this, eat books, they basically acquire the knowledge that is within those books. So whether it's 
um, a fictional book, you know, uh, something by Charlotte Bronte or a dictionary or a map, whatever they eat, they kind of ingest that knowledge. Uh, and amongst these book eaters, there are also people who um, eat humans that are sometimes born of these book eaters. So they have this very secretive society, this very secretive world where they don't want to let um, you know humans know who they are. And uh, it tells the story of this mother and her child as she tries to find a way to save him from the plight that he has been born with. Uh, and so there's, you know, family mystery, there's drama, there is heists and chases and all sorts of stuff. It's just a very unique, uh, very original story that I really, really enjoyed. So that's The Book Eaters by Sunyi Dean, a book that I just finished up and I really loved. If you'd ever like additional book recommendations from me, you can always reach me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. You can leave any ratings or reviews there. I'll give you some customized book recommendations if you just send me a screenshot of those. And as always, feel free to send me the things you are passionate about. I love reading your passions and everybody who sends me those, I pick one random person to send a bookshop.org gift certificate once a month. So uh, again, thanks so much for all the interaction you guys have had over the past couple months with me. I really, really appreciate it. It's wonderful hearing from all of you. Okay. Not going to keep you any longer. I am so delighted to say, I hope you enjoy this episode of Passions and Prologues with Iris Yamashita. Hi, my name is Sarah. And I want to tell you about my podcast called, Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. I am so delighted to have you on the show today. What is something you're super passionate about that we're going to discuss today? Well, I've recently rediscovered um, playing music on a keyboard. Mm -hmm. I've, um, when I was little, I had taken piano lessons, but, you know, it was a little more to please the parents because, you know, I had Asian parents and they wanted me to take piano lessons. And I, I was never really good. Uh, but we, we did have a, a piano, of course, that I practiced on. And then um, I haven't had a piano since I was little. And now that I'm an adult, I um, came into possession of a, uh, a keyboard, a full-sized mm-hmm. keyboard. And I've kind of rediscovered music now and it's um something that's very relaxing Mm -hmm. and instead of playing um the classical music that you know you're you're taught I can play whatever I want so I've I've discovered a lot of like uh movie music Mm 
mm-hmm. that, you know, you can find the scores for online. Everything is now digital, which is another, it's completely different from when I was a kid, but it makes it easier mm-hmm. um, in a way. And you can, you can download like tons of scores that, uh, you know, that are accessible. And um, I really enjoy it. It really relaxes me and it really, um, uh, even just listening to the music kind of sets a tone too when I'm writing I can mm-hmm. I often listen to uh movie scores as a yeah. background and they can kind of bring about certain emotions and uh, mm-hmm. feelings that can help inspire your writing as well yeah I have so many questions I want to ask about this first off uh I, I should mention for people who may be unaware when you talk about your background you're being very very modest Iris is an academy award nominated screenwriter so she you are very very well versed in that area but I um we were talking about playing the piano I'm the youngest of four children and my three siblings all both sort of like you, like they they took piano lessons and then abandoned them. So by the time I came around, um, I was so active in like doing sports and different activities that my mom was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing this again. I'm not wasting piano lessons. And so I used to give her a hard time in like my teenage years when we still had a piano around. And then like my, when I was in my twenties, I was like, you never take, took, took me to do lessons. So I never learned how to do this. And I've always wanted to learn how to play piano. And uh, now my, I have a nephew who, who is learning and, um, but she's probably right. Much like you, I probably would have abandoned it if, if I had been taught so early on, but um, you know, when did you sort of rediscover this recently and, and what can, how did that, that come about where you're like, Oh, I think I do want to pick this up again. I kind of lied because I had when I was a kid and then there was a period in college when I also had a synthesizer, but it wasn't mm. a full size synthesizer. And so, you know, I would play whatever the popular music tunes were of the day. And then, mm-hmm. and then I, and then um, it wasn't till uh, fairly recently um, like in the last few months that I actually came into possession of a of a full-sized keyboard that has really changed like you know playing on a half size is you know it's not it's not that great this is back in the the 80s when the synthesizer stuff was kind of popular mm-hmm. <laughs> so the popular music was like all they had synthesizer sounds in the back but now um this keyboard that I have now, can, you know, it sounds like a piano. Mm-hmm. So it, I play it just like a piano and that's, um, and then discovering the sites online where you can just get any score that you yeah. want pretty much. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's been a joy. I, you mentioned writing and having, using the music of, of movie scores has sort of set the mood for you from a writing standpoint. And I will say I've had so many authors tell me that, that I, um, I'm querying a novel right now. And when I wrote it, I, I did the same thing. There was a couple of movie scores that I loved listening to. One was um, pick the Pixar movie up. It has like a very oh, yeah. beautiful piano based uh, soundtrack. But the one that always stuck with me was uh, there was an author who used uh, Conan the Barbarian was the, the soundtrack that she used. <laughs> And it always struck me as funny, but then I listened to it and I was like, well, I could see how that would happen. So so for you, what were some of the the scores that you were using when you were writing City Under One Roof? 
Um, I listen to a lot of uh, Jan Tiersen. He he um, composed the soundtrack for Amelie, the movie mm-hmm. Amelie, mm-hmm. and um, many other many others like Goodbye Lenin. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a great yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, uh, and some others. So he's he's great for movie music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, not a, all of it matches with what I'm writing. Like, I don't listen to a lot of thrillery music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that would just be a little more disruptive. It's more, it's more like background music. So, yeah, you know. I I will say I, I laughed because I'm very familiar with Amelie. In fact, I tried to find it. I tried to watch it recently and like you can't you can't stream it anywhere right now which is very frustrating but it's one of the movies that was um I don't remember which specific movie house I think it might have been a Miramax film and like a lot of the Miramax films now are very hard to find on streaming this is another story but entirely but I was just laughing because having read City Under One Roof and then you mentioned Amelie is like the first thing I was like yeah those to me those are two very different (laughs) moods for sure um do you as a person who is now take like you said kind of brought up again wanting to play the music do you find yourself when you hear a score whether it's while watching a movie or just listening to the score like do you have you started to listen to the music as a potential thing you might want to play at some point or do you think you still interact with the music like the same way as someone who might not have an ability to play piano Oh, yeah, I totally now, you know, I have like a station that just plays sort of these instrument piano mm-hmm. instrumentals. And now that I found this site where you can just look up scores, I, I, I'll, I'll pause it if I like it and then I'll see if it's there and then I'll mm-hmm. don- download the score <laughs> and mm-hmm. then try to play it later. I mean, I'm not very good. So um, usually if it's a simpler tune, <laughs> I can play it <laughs> if it's got a lot of runs in it then mm-hmm. I probably won't be able to play it. And I'll, I'll know that. And I'll say, oh, no, I'm not going to look for that one. Do you find that that playing the music, though, is something that is like therapeutic or calms you down? Or I guess like what would be like, where do you, what do you find the most enjoyment out of that experience for you now that, like you said, you are playing the things that you want to play <laughs> as opposed to the things that people make you play when you're younger? Yeah, it's just, um, it's, it's relaxing and it's also, it's expressive. Uh, you know, it's, you can, you know, you can put your own take on it on a piece. And um, yeah, I think it's the same when you, when you listen to something and then, you know, it makes you feel a certain way and then, and then you can actually play it. That's even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Is uh, Do you think that, the interaction you have with the piano has affected how you write at all? Like, do you find there's, you have clarity or is it just something that you find like two completely separate entities? Yeah. Playing is a completely separate entity because I'm not thinking about uh, the writing at all. It's actually more of an escape, but um listening it definitely will affect how I write because it can um give you a mood uh especially like if you're writing a very kind of quiet it's not an actiony moment 
um, and it's a quiet moment and you're listening to <laughs> appropriate mm-hmm. quiet music, I think it does help. It, it helps you write a little better because the music sort of informs that mood. Mm-hmm. Um, I should try maybe listening to thrillery music while I'm writing the action parts and see yeah. if that helps. I don't know. I've never tried that. Well, I will say that that's one of the things um, that is one of the things I really loved about, like I said, the the soundtrack for Up, the Pixar movie. It is very like there's lots of emotional aspects. Everyone who's ever seen Up knows that like the first 10 minutes of it are just dramatic, so emotional. It's like you go through the entire gamut of human emotions in 10 minutes. But the actual the entire soundtrack is very up and down from a, a pacing standpoint. And there are lots of like dramatic moments. And I did find myself while writing exactly what you said. Like I would skip through specifically to the, like the, the apex moments of what would have been the, the movie itself in that, in that music. And I did find that it, it did help. Like it, it's, I, I would have thought it wasn't a real thing, but like it really does build up in your, like the emotion that you need to write about. It is really interesting that, the external sounds around us while we're writing can sort of affect the mood. That is an interesting thing. Yeah, I think so. And I think in movies, the the music has to be done well too, because it's almost like the music is another character. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Christopher Nolan, he's always got, I mean, that that kind of noise. Yeah. And then that makes your heart go beat fast and he knows he's doing that so definitely the music is like it's almost like it's another character yeah speaking of like screenwriting and and your experience with that how did your experience as a screenwriter did it feel different to write uh, things specifically for the screen as opposed to shifting your focus for city under one roof your your novel like did it did it feel different or does it still feel just like writing in general for you yeah, I think they're very different. Um, the the both the structure and um, how you're involved in the writing is very different. It feels very different. Um, the basic storytelling tenets are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you still have the same. Uh, for me, um, thinking of the structure and the character arcs, and um, you know where certain beats would come in. The, so the basic storytelling, um, the tenets are the same, but uh, yeah, the structure is very different. And and you as a writer, your role is, it feels very different than mm-hmm. when you're writing a book. A book is, it feels a lot more torturous in a sense, um, but much more gratifying uh, mm-hmm. because you are everything. You are the director. You are the cinematographer. You are the casting director. You know, you you wear all the hats mm-hmm. in um, creating a novel, and um, and you know that people are going to look at like every word yeah. <laughs> in the finished product. Whereas in screenwriting, I think it's almost like you're just a another cog like there's many many parts in the in the in the movie business and there are you know so there's tons of people involved and they're all you know making their own decisions and um and 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 the director has their take and the producer has their take and uh, sometimes all you're doing as a writer is trying to meet 
their takes, you know, mm-hmm. it's not you. Um, and they, a lot of times uh, you're not working on anything original. Mm-hmm. So you're taking an adaptation or you're um, taking the idea of a producer or a true story and turning it into something, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's most of the times um, it's not your original work. For screenwriting, for people who are unfamiliar, because I'm admittedly not familiar with this, like when you write, when you write a novel, you, in most situations, you kind of write the entire story and then you query it for literary, literary agents and then you get a, a publisher and then you get an editor and like you, you get kind of a full batch of edits and you make, you know, sweeping changes and it goes back and forth, but you're basically like, working with your entire story the whole time and then you have people take a look at it for screenwriting do you are you constantly updating scripts and dialogue and different things like as they're shooting or is has your experience as a screenwriter been basically like you write a script or you punch up a script whatever it is and then like you hand it off and it's in the actor's hands at that point um yeah each case is is probably going to be a little bit different. Um, I was lucky uh, when I was working with Clint Eastwood because he um, he doesn't actually do development. So he kind of just looks at the script and he says yes or no. Mm-hmm. So when he said yes to my script, it was pretty much, okay, let's go, let's shoot it. And that never happens usually in um, Hollywood. Right. Um, I mean, they did do, uh, he did take suggestions from actors and other people, but once it got translated to Japanese, I couldn't really do anything because I can't, I'm not um, fluent in reading and Mm -hmm. writing Japanese. So it was out of my hands. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are other projects where they, uh, yeah, it's like development hell, (laughs) so to speak, where they just, you know, they... They, they keep wanting to do rewrites and rewrites and rewrites. And sometimes, you know, they can hire someone else. Um, so there was a project I was on that um, they hired me first and I did some rounds and then they hired another writer to rewrite it. And then another writer after that to rewrite that. And then they came back to me and they said, you know, we liked your version best. So we want you to, you know, redo it. And so it's, it can be kind of crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I would love to hear after, you know, having this career in screenwriting, why you wanted to shift over to writing a novel. I'm assuming maybe because it enables you to have a little bit more power and control over the story. But but what made you want to shift into the world of writing a novel? Because City Under One Roof is your your debut. So what, what made you want to adjust and kind of try your hand at, at the literary world as opposed to the, you know, movie making? world yeah I you know I always did want to write a novel since I was little like that was always my dream Mm -hmm. and so I um I minored in writing and I um I did get you know a job a day job as a engineer (laughs) and then I would be writing at as a hobby so I mm-hmm. still continue taking classes. I was taking classes at UCLA Extension in novel writing, but I couldn't finish a novel <laughs> because it takes yeah. a lot more time and effort. And um, everybody in LA is writing a screenplay. So I thought, 
Well, let me see. Let me let me give that a try. Mm -hmm. So I started taking classes in screenwriting and um, I found that I could actually finish a screenplay because, you know, they're not as long. It's about like 100 pages and a lot of white space. And I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, I could do this. So I switched over to screenwriting. So I and then, you know, I found the initial success there. So I stayed there Mm -hmm. for a while. and I was it, the idea for this book actually started with um, trying to come up with an idea for streaming media mm-hmm. like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and those kind of places. Um, and I uh, I didn't I, I knew I needed to come up with a sample first because I'm not in that world. Like if mm-hmm. I've only um, been in the the feature film world and they're kind of they're completely different and so that's when I started coming up with the idea for this book for City Under One Roof um, first as a series and then after I had done um, so much work plotting out a season uh, and you know it's a lot of work actually to plot an entire season and then I thought you know I think I have enough here to write a book so Mm -hmm. then I just started writing the book yeah, so, so I will say for people who haven't read the book yet, it is you hearing you talk about it as like a streaming service makes a lot of sense because having read it, it's it's about this detective who is like stranded in this tiny Alaskan town where basically everyone lives in one building, and it like it definitely in my I, I can see it I, as I was reading it, like and you explaining this, now, I'm like, oh yeah, this this is like ready made to be visualized, but you know where where did that idea come from? Like, is this something that actually happens in Alaska is are there actual towns like this or I guess like where did the the idea pop in your mind because it is so unique and I but I also like knowing how remote some of the areas of Alaska is like if you were to tell me right now that there are towns like this I don't think it would surprise me too much so you know where did it sort of percolate from originally well you're right um this city is inspired by a real city in Alaska where most of the people do live in one building and it is a very secluded place where you can only um, get there through a tunnel through a mountain. And um, yeah, I I had seen a documentary uh, over 20 years ago. It just stuck in the back of my mind as a setting, a really cool setting for a story, but I didn't have a story (laughs) until Uh over 20 years later. but yeah, at that time, you could only go by train. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was either train or boat. But it was a it was originally built as a kind of secretive military base. Mm-hmm. So they had built two high rises um, for the military personnel to live in. And then there was a huge nine point something earthquake um, in Alaska that uh, basically decimated the base. Mm-hmm. So they shut it down. And uh, yeah, I believe that tsunami even hit the, the town. Oh. So they shut it down. And um, so one building is is completely abandoned. And the other uh, building, they turned into this high rise condo. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's um, that's where people live now. They still live there. So yeah. it, it's so, it's so interesting. And I like first off, like. Again, like you mentioned, like part of the story is there's this blizzard that kind of like 
it closes up the tunnel and so it kind of keeps everyone there like suspended in this area indefinitely and like that's such a claustrophobic feeling like I kind of like just rethinking back to reading it like I'm getting chills now but what was like did did you have a research process in the sense where like other than kind of looking up and learning things about this city like were there aspects that I can't imagine you like traveled to this extremely remote place for for research or anything or or did you like was there did you have research that you were able to do for the story yes i actually did go to this uh to the city that inspired Amazing. this one the fake one mm-hmm. um and uh i did stay in in the building because they do uh-huh. actually have rooms in the building that you can you can rent and and mm-hmm. stay in um uh you know it's usually a happening place in the summer uh, because there are uh, now cruise ships that mm-hmm. um, embark or disembark from there. People usually don't actually stay in the city, but um, you can get on and off boats. And there is um, fishing there as well. So um, I did go during the summer. So it didn't seem as quite as scary as I make sure, it out to yeah. be <laughs> because it's uh, pretty bustling at the time. Um, and then it it does shut down. I, I haven't stayed there in the winter. In the winter. Um, yeah. But people uh, that I, someone I talked to there said, yeah, I don't understand the people who would come here in the winter, you know, so <laughs> slightly more, uh, slightly more inviting during the, the summertime when it's, you can kind of come and go a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's actually very beautiful. The, the, the mountains, the landscape is, it's very uh, beautiful mm-hmm. from the picture windows in the, in the building. So it's actually not a bad place to stay in, you know, uh-huh. in, in the summer. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of afraid to go there in the winter. <laughs> yeah. I, like I said, just, just reading your book gave me enough like claustrophobia. I don't think I want to try it out in the winter personally, but what, um, what is it for you about murder mysteries that kind of draw you into want to write these types of stories? Are these like the books and shows and movies that you're drawn to as a person enjoying them? Or like, is there something specific about this type of story for you? You know, interestingly, I, I, didn't think I was going to write a murder mystery. I didn't know if I had it in me. And I, I, I'm not a big f- follower of the, um, you know, the procedurals either on television. Mm-hmm. And I uh, the, actually the mystery world is kind of new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, I used to teach screenwriting and I and I know I always tell them you have to you should start with a question. You know, mm. and murder mysteries always start with a question. And then I always would say, oh, I love it when you start with a dead body. So <laughs> so I think maybe all along I've been wanting to write a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't have a story in mind until I um, was coming up with this idea for a series. Because, you know, with a, with a murder mystery, you can kind of... Um, think of numerous episodes to mm-hmm. keep it going in that sense um it seemed yeah. like a good uh, a, a good genre for a series well once you had the idea like you said you'd done all this research for for the series itself and like i, I imagine in your mind as a writer i could be completely wrong because again i don't have any screenwriting experience but i imagine you're writing these beats that could be like the end of an episode or like uh, a thing Is it, did you just use those and like converted them into like chapter endings or was there, was there a challenge to take 
<laughs> these beats that you had, like I said, from a visual standpoint and turning them into a novel? Or was that a lot of fun for you to explore? It was a lot of fun, actually. It was always, always fun to think of, okay, so how can I end with a cliffhanger <laughs> that makes you want to go on to the next chapter? Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked with a group, um, my writer's group, where I would bring in maybe a chapter each time. Mm-hmm. And because our group, we're all kind of professional writers. I mean, in, we all start off in screenwriting and uh, kind of fun in, in a funny way. We all are starting to gravitate towards writing novels, <laughs> but I would bring a chapter and we would read the pages and then um, someone would always say, dun, dun, dun at the end, you know? <laughs> and if I didn't get that in the end, I'm like, Oh, can I, can I make it a little more exciting at the end? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And and like I said, I, I definitely, knowing your background as a, a screenwriter, I could, as I was reading it, I could definitely feel, I was like, oh yeah, these could, these could definitely be visualized really, really easily. And, and it definitely shows through and, and the book is, is so good. And then I will say like, from chapter to chapter, you really did nail that, like wanting, I, I do feel like that's the biggest part of a mystery novel is like you need to keep the reader wanting to be like wait what's going on I need to read one more page or one more chapter and you really did that with flying colors so yeah I, I think I know you have you have a whole history a whole career in screenwriting but this this side of things I think this is uh the novel writing stuff is is a place for you to keep exploring for sure oh thank you so much yeah so I always end the episode by having uh, the author recommend something. It could be a book. It could be a movie if you want it to be. I've had someone say something as simple as go for a walk more often. But what is a recommendation that you'd like to leave my listeners with as something you think more people should know about? Yeah, there there's a movie that I think is underrated. And, um, you know, we were talking about music in the at the beginning of the episode. And um, this is definitely one of those movies that it, the music is definitely a character and it's so lovely. Um, and it's uh, called the movie is called The Legend of 1900. Hmm. And it was written and directed by Giuseppe Tornatore, mm-hmm. the guy who did Cinema Paradiso. OK, yeah. And then the composer is the brilliant Ennio Morricone. Mm-hmm. And Ennio Morricone, he did the soundtrack for Cinema Paradiso as well. And he also did the Sergio Leone, you know, the spaghetti westerns, uh-huh. the music for that. And um, this soundtrack is is so beautiful. Um, and it, the story is kind of like a fairy tale. It's about, um, it stars Tim Roth. And it's about um, a baby that was abandoned on an ocean liner in the year nineteen uh-huh. hundred. So it's you know it's a period. So that so his name became nineteen hundred, and um, he basically grows up on the on the ship, and he becomes a piano prodigy. So you hear some music, the beautiful music that Morricone composed, and he becomes kind of the he he becomes a entertainer in the orchestra that entertains the the cruise guests, um, and he's he's too afraid to leave the ship. So it's mm. like he'll never he never sets foot off the ship. So it's a it's a it's kind of a weird like a fairy tale kind of story, yeah. but again the music is um, is so beautiful. 
and and then there's joyful music as well. Like there's a scene that I I still like to look at once in a while, where um, there's a storm on the ship, and um, 1900. His way of dealing with storms on a ship is he gets on the piano and then he lets the piano slide around the yeah. room while he plays, you know, in the ballroom, and he's just playing this joyful music, and it's um it's it's really kind of uplifting so it's mm-hmm. it's this really like you can't help but smile when you see that yeah. scene so oh, that, yeah. that that sounds amazing i'm definitely gonna check that out and uh as people have heard me say in the intro and we've been talking about for a little while now city under one roof is such a fun wonderful book i it's i like literally could not stop turning the pages it's so great and I really love this conversation Iris thank you so much for joining me today oh thank you so much for having me this was so much fun passions and prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol it was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other Evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.